We've been in Ezra and Nehemiah. Great book. We're going to finish Ezra today. And then we'll jump into Nehemiah. Nehemiah will go a little faster because we've just covered so much background. Um, and it's Super Bowl Sunday, and we're not going to go long. And, and uh, you know, it's, I, I was reflecting on just our story three years ago for this church. Uh, it was, was the first Super Bowl Sunday. And we had just started meeting more formally on, a, on Sundays. And uh, through the fall, and some of you guys were there. Many of us have at least heard this story. We, uh, we lost the building we were in. We were meeting at, I think, 10 o'clock in the morning. We lost the building right around Christmas Eve. So we had Christmas Eve service, fantastic, and then, and then nothing. We were kicked out into kind of exile. And we find this place, by the, by the grace of God, really, met with the people here. And they were able to get us back into a building uh, within a couple weeks. And we were almost like, well, do we go back to a home? We had kind of outgrown a home. But the, but the problem was it was at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, right? Some of you guys, ah, oh, we love the 4 o'clock, you know. But it was a hard time. To, to meet for church. I mean, especially in the winter, it was like getting dark. And then, especially in the summer, because it's like the middle of the day, like it was just a hard time. And we're meeting over there at that chapel at four o'clock in the afternoon. And the first Super Bowl is coming around. And the Super Bowl is at, say, 3.30, right? And our church is at four. I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, I, I, and I just wasn't sure do we cancel church and process with a few people. And I felt like, you know what? Let's just set the tone. We still need to meet, right? We, it's our first year. Uh, I think that was happening today. I would definitely cancel church. We'd just all go to a party. But in our first year, I was like, man, we need to be here, and this is important. And if we're not here, then how can I expect anyone else to be here? And I said, all right, we're gonna, we'll push church up to 3 o'clock an hour. Uh, we can do that, and then we can you know, catch most of the game. I remember driving up here with Jet, and, and, and a lot of those uh, 4 o'clock services were like this. I've been driving up with him, and I'm just like, I, I am fairly depressed. You know, I did not want to be meeting at four o'clock. I love the Super Bowl. Should be at a party. People should be hanging out with each other. And we're driving up to this, you know, chapel up here and uh, to kind of force through it. And, and I don't, and I don't know. I had a word and, and, and I, but Noah was there, I think. I mean, I, there was probably, Sarah, I think you were there. There might have been six people there. Yeah, maybe less because I don't even think, two, I don't even think my other kids came. So, it was a really hard thing to sit through. Like, why are we doing this? Who am I proving this to? And it, and it felt like this kind of exile period sometimes over there. Because we were sent off and it felt good. Like, we were definitely believed that God was with us and moving. And we were trusting him and believing him. But like, when we actually got up to it, the optics were like, this is not good. This is really hard. I, I, I believe God and who he is and that there is a God. But I'm watching this thing in front of me. I don't, maybe I'm missing something. And it's hard when you're in those places. And when we talk about the, these periods of exile, because we're kind of in the second, second exile now with Israel, and they're living in these situations that are, yeah, bring it, <laughs> that are hard, right? And so Israel, even in, in Egypt for hundreds of years, they somehow retained their faith. That doesn't mean it was easy. Like waiting for something else to happen. This exile in Babylon is you know, seven years much quicker. We're waiting for something to happen. It's hard. It's hard to be in those places. And look ahead. Well, God says he's going to deliver me. He's got, a, he's got a plan for me. He's going to move us along. And you're like, eh, it's really, really hard right now with what I see. And so the people have been, been delivered from this, this one situation of, you know, kind of captivity in Babylon. 
And this is this is the kind of story we're looking at through Ezra one, and they're sent off. Right there's this activation. The king said, "You know what? God's moved, and we're going to send you back. We're going to send you to Jerusalem. We want you to rebuild your your city and the temple and, and the altar and, and the walls. And it's and it's going to be it's going to be amazing. We're going to fund it, and we send you. We're going to send you on your way. So we followed this this story. There's this big movement, forty to fifty thousand people, on this huge journey. It's, it takes about four months." Uh, going back, going up through Persia and over to Jerusalem. You get there, they start building, there's some th good things that happen, and some, they, they get going, then they're, they're kind of shut down, and then last week we looked at uh, these other tribes came out, like, hey, we worship the same God, we want to help you build, and Zerubbabel's like, no way, we alone, we're not inviting you, and it was just sort of like, ah, oh, well, the prophet said maybe all the tribes would get together on this project, and maybe you should have their help, but in, in Zerubbabel's, Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel's defense, uh, he didn't want to invite foreign people into it. He didn't really know, so he's being protective. And the whole thing just kind of stalls out. And then they, they get it going again. And this is where we're going to get into chapter 7. And this is where Ezra shows up. So it's the book of Ezra. He only shows up for the last few chapters, though he wrote it. He's a scribe, right? It's written probably chronicles in this, this work called Ezra and Nehemiah. And so he shows up, and this is around 450 uh, B.C., so we're, we're charging toward the New Testament here. If you can picture it, the, the clock is ticking down. This is going to go, this is going in the other direction. So the 400, 300, 200, 100. It's heading toward the New Testament. So we're kind of wrapping up this, this Old Testament narrative, this Old Testament drama is starting to, to wrap up because there's going to be about 400 years where we don't hear anything. So this is some of the, the latter parts of the Old Testament before we run into Jesus. So Ezra, so Ezra gets this, this, this call. 57 years after the temple is finished. So Zerubbabel has done his thing. There's, a, there's stuff happening there. They're back. He gets, he gets to lead the second return. And his is a much smaller return. And his purpose, his commission is to care for the temple and to reform the people. So the king again activates this as God's moving. Says he, 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 to, to send Ezra to get some people together. We'll just kind of read some of this uh, together and we'll go through the next, the next few. So Ezra 7, if you uh, want to, you can turn there or just listen. We won't read all of it. Uh, but it goes like this. So after these things, meaning the pre previous six chapters, during the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra came up from Babylon. He was a teacher well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. The king had granted him everything he asked, for the hand of the Lord was on him. So he's having favor in this situation. He's having favor with, the, with king Artaxerxes of Persia. Some of the Israelites, including priests, Levites, and musicians, gatekeepers, temple service, also came up to Jerusalem in the seventh year, seventh year of Artaxerxes. So he gets this kind of temple core going with him. He said he arrived in Jerusalem in the fifth month of the seventh year. He began their journey in Babylon from the first day of the first month. So this, is, this talks about this, this long journey. And he arrived there on the, on, the, on the fifth month. For the gracious hand of God was on him. For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of, of the law of the Lord and teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. So this is Ezra, a great verse, right? Some of us have heard this. This is, this is a way to live. And he devoted himself to study and what? Observance of the law of the Lord and teaching its, its decrees. So he's, this, so he's this person God is, is, is using. He's devoted to the scripture. He's devoted to his people. Uh, he's got favor with the king. And he gets to lead this, this charge back to Israel, back to Jerusalem. 
And the king said, hey, I'm going to fund you. I want you to go. I know they've done some stuff there. I want to, I want to see this thing through. I know they've got a temple up and there's, there's something kind of happening. I want, I want you to go because you, you understand what needs to be done beyond just brick and mortar. You understand the spiritual reformation that needs to happen. And he deploys Ezra, and he, and he, and he supplies him. Uh, if you would over the, read on through the, through the chapter, he gives him everything he needs, uh, uh, money and oils and instruments. And he says, take whoever you want with you. Uh, get on your way. Because he's a person the king recognizes. He's, he's not just about talk. He, doesn't just, he can't just recite the verses. He's, he's living the verses. And some of us need, could, could stand to learn from that, right? We've heard this story. We know this stuff. But, man, what does your life look like? What does your life actually look like? Is it any different? And we have this conversation in our house often between the upstairs and downstairs, and it's usually more of a yell. And uh, it's one parent, one of us, maybe one or Amy or I, usually one more than the other, yelling one of the kids' names uh, all different times, but usually one more than the other. And it'll be like, as an example, cash. Amy will be upstairs. Cash will be downstairs playing video games. Cash. Cash will be like, I know. Like, what well, you didn't do it, right? And it's this whole like exchange. Like he knows his laundry's not put away. His bed's not made. Uh, you know, the, the thing's not clean. Didn't I know? But you're not doing anything. Cash. I know. And that could be me, right? I'm probably guilty of that just as much. I know, I know. Your kids do that. We say that as, as adults, sometimes in our like, relationships with our spouse. I know, but you didn't do it. And Ezra's not that guy. He's like, I know, and I do it. I know, and I do it. Because the, the law of the Lord was in his heart. And God had favor with him from this because of this, and God's hand was on him. And he begins to return. This is in chapter 8. We're kind of go a little 30,000 foot here. And he begins to return, and he stops on his way with his people, and he proclaims a fast. This is women, children. This is uh, uh, you know a couple thousand people, five you know five thousand people. He and he proclaims his fast, so that we might. This is verse twenty-one. Humble ourselves before God and ask Him for safe a safe journey for us, our children, and with all our possessions. He says, you know what? We got to stop. We got to stop here. We've got this long journey ahead of us. Good things have happened. Think good things are in motion. Let's stop. Let's declare a fast. And let's pray for a safe journey for our children and all our possessions. And it says, this is Ezra. He says, I said, he says in verse 22, I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from enemies on the road because we had told the king the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him. But his great anger is against all who forsake him. So he fasted, petitioned our God about this, and he answered our prayer. And I love this bit of honesty. Because the king's sending him off. He said, man, this is, you're on your way. I'm going to give you all this stuff. Are you going to be okay? You know, women, children, four, four months, four or five months, there's bandits and other, other enemies out there. I was like, we got this. God's got us. God's got us. And you almost get right. He's getting closer. You're like, oh, man, maybe I shouldn't have turned down those horsemen. Maybe I should have taken some soldiers along for the way. So I, I was too ashamed to bring it up now because I'd already said this. And it's just a great sort of honest little moment that he lets us in on. And I think it was important where, where maybe in, in Zerubbabel's case there was maybe a different conversation. I think in Ezra's case it was important for him to lead his people that way. You know what? 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to bet on God. I'm going all in on God. I, I, I said I believe him. I said he's got us. Let's start to walk this out. I said, don't worry about it. We don't need an army. God is our army. And he starts to go. And what an example to the people. And to stop before the journey and say, hey, listen, let's make sure we're covered here. Let's, let's make sure we're covered here. Let's fast and pray. This is an insight into the person of Ezra. So they get on this, this journey and, uh, and they make it. You know, God provides. He takes care of them. And this is a great prayer for any of us, right, when we say, man, God, let's pray for my kids and my possessions that we arrive safely. Wherever your calling is in life, wherever you're going in life, your destiny, Lord, man, help us to arrive safely. And he comes up into uh, chapter 9. And he's starting to look around, and he said, all these things have been done. We got here, we, we've set up in the temple, you know, he was a man of, he was a priest. And all these things have been done, done. The leaders came to him and said, this is verse, chapter 9, verse 1, the people of Israel, including the priests and the Levites, have not kept themselves separate from the neighboring peoples with their detestable practices. They have taken some of their daughters as wives themselves and their sons, and have mingled the holy race with the peoples around them. And the leaders and officials have led the way in this unfaithfulness. So he gets in, in this, this, this really cool story of God, right? He's, God's sending his people back. He's freed them from captivity. He's, he's resourced them. God has moved the enemy king's heart so that he would supply God's people for this rebuild. And they get there and they start to rebuild. And just not that long after, Ezra shows up and the people have kind of drifted off already. And Ezra said, when I heard this, I tore my tunic and cloak, pulled my hair from my head and beard, sat down appalled. Then everyone who trembled at the words of the God of Israel gathered around me because of the unfaithfulness of the exiles. And I sat there appalled until evening sacrifice. So this grieves Ezra. I mean, he really is upset about this. He, he, I mean, he's visibly, he's just, you know, tearing at himself. He's just, my gosh, what happened? How do we get so far? The people are coming around because they haven't heard this kind of truth for a while. And they're like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, this is, this is bad. And when you're living in it, and this is, this is sin, right? It, it starts out small when you're not at peace with God and your life is a little bit fragmented. It's these little things. And over time, it just starts to grow. When you're, when you're walking that through, you hardly notice. It's a proverbial frog in the pot. Like, we, how did we get here? No one, they didn't start out that way. Like, well, it doesn't, one guy, ah, it's this one girl. She seems nice. Let's, let's have her in. Now one son takes, it, it's fine. But all of a sudden he gets to them. The leaders and officials have led the way in their unfaithfulness. Well, what happened to that other first chapters, those first six chapters? God is moving. He's providing. He's liberating. There's worship. And then people are back to kind of where they started. And they're, off, they're kind of off serving themselves. He closes out in this chapter 10. And he kind of calls, calls the people out on this. He says, you know, you've been unfaithful uh, to our God. But in spite of this, there is still hope for Israel. And this is a great message. Some of us need to hear that. Listen, you, you've been unfaithful. I don't know who that, who that is or what that is. Maybe you've, you've kind of strayed off and you've done some stuff. There's still hope. There's always hope. You cannot get so far. You cannot run from hope. So he talks to people, listen, this is serious, but there's still hope. And he calls everyone together. So we've got to talk about this. We've got to get a plan. Uh, I think what the best thing would be to do would be to, to separate these, these, these relationships. So if you've taken a woman from another place, let's, let's, let's part ways. 
Let's send her on the way. If, if, if your you know, daughters have taken sons, let's, let's part ways. And Ezra's pretty black and white. It doesn't say the Lord said to do this. He's just observing the law and he's doing the best he can with it. Maybe this will solve it if we can just break it apart. And there's a little tension around that as he gathers them together. So within three days, this is chapter 10, all the men of Judah and Benjamin had, had gathered. They all came like, oh my gosh, we got to show up. In the ninth month, all the people were sitting in the square before the house of God, greatly distressed by the occasion. Like, oh boy, we're busted. Ezra shows them, get over here now. Wherever you are, get over here. Whatever you've been doing, however far off, I need to see you now. Get in my office now. Right? This is the principal calling or your boss or your wife or whatever. Get over here now. We need to talk. All the people show up and they're distressed because of this occasion and because of the rain. Because it was raining out and they were distressed because of the rain as well. And it's this funny kind of moment like, oh my gosh. We've been blowing it, blowing it. We gotta, we gotta get, make ourselves things right before God. And they're distressed over God and because it was raining on them and they were outside. It's just sort of how people are. Like I'm, ah oh man, I gotta get right with God, but man, I'm kinda itchy right here. It's bothering me too. Or my life's a little uncomfortable. Or it's raining. And it comes up again. They're standing out there in the rain. I'm sure it was cold and unhappy. You're getting yelled at. It's, it's raining and they're just like, it's just so funny that he includes that this is humanity. You've got to get things right with God, and they're distressed about the occasion and the rain. Ezra stands up. So you've been unfaithful. You have married foreign women, adding to Israel's guilt. Now honor the Lord. Separate yourselves from the peoples around you and your foreign wives. Whole assembly says, you're right. Verse 12. But there are many people here, and it's rainy season, so we cannot stand outside. He's like, you're totally right. We have to do something about this, but I don't know if we can do it in the rain. And that's just it. Like, how important was it? Oh, we got to do it right now. Like, mm, I'll wait for this, maybe, maybe for it to clear up. Man, and some of us live our lives that way. Like, I know I need to get here with my relationship, with my honesty, with my accountability, with my finances, with my health. I feel like I need to do that. Like God is stirring me to make some changes. But ah, I can't do it right now because it's raining. I'll get to that. I'll get to that another time. Because uh, we, this will take too long. We can't stand out here in the rain. Man, when you're moved by God, really, or by love, right? Some of us can remember these times and you just do anything for recklessly for love. Like, it doesn't matter if it's raining or what else is going on in the world at all. But it still kind of shows, like, even though someone's coming in and telling them, you're wrong, we need to fix this, it, it doesn't really fix it. And that's what we'll arrive at even at the end of Nehemiah, at the end of this, at this work. So he stand out there and he goes through and he said, all right, well, let's, let's send everyone back and we'll see everybody like a couple, you know, people at a time. We'll just work, start working our way through it. And there's some, some of the party stands up and they, hey, we oppose this. It's like four guys and their, and their tribes and their families. Hey, we, we're, we don't, we're not into this. I'm not separating my family. I know God says don't marry these foreign people, but he also said he hates divorce. So what do we do with that? And they oppose it. And then you start to move on anyway. And this just takes time. In the rest of chapter uh, 10, it's just this list of names. Like, here's the people who intermarried. Here's their name. Here's their name. And it goes on and on and on. And in verse 44, the last chapter of the book says, All these had married foreign women, and some of them had children by these wives. So here's the list. Here's who we're trying to separate. And it closes. 
And that's the end of that book. And that's why it doesn't really work to just close Nehemiah, uh, Ezra there without going into Nehemiah. Because we're like, I don't know, did that do anything? Did that really do anything? And this whole Old Testament drama, which is beautiful about it, we'll see. And if, if you remember anything about these, these, these books, or, but biblical IQ is, like, is higher than a lot of people. These are hard books. But it goes through, and ultimately it's going to arrive at, doesn't, do, doesn't really fix anything for the people to keep show, people sh- to show up and just like yell at the other people like you're wrong. Like the law is just not working. It's not changing hearts. You had a good thing happen, they went back to it. I mean, Nehemiah, spoiler alert, his story, he, he revitalizes things as well. And he leaves and he comes back and they've mar- married foreign women again. It doesn't work. Right, the temple situation, if this ex- exclusivity of, of, of God just having certain people doesn't really work. Having to follow the law doesn't really work. And that's the story of this thing. And that's, a, that's actually the good news. I'm going to have our band come up. We'll close out um, with a song. And the idea for you and I, because we get to see the sort of fast forward into, into the, the story of Jesus and his grace. And Noah mentioned some of this about worship, but why we worship and why we say thanks. And, and, and gratitude is always a response to grace. There's just grace in our lives. We don't have to figure out this hustle anymore. So I pray, if anyone just feels like, maybe you just feel like, man, I'm, I still, you still feel guilty, you feel shame, you feel like you're not doing enough, you're kind of stuck in some of these Old Testament patterns. So I pray for freedom for you. God, thanks for uh, this morning, for the people in the room. Pray for anyone's heart who needs to be freed of guilt or shame, that they're not doing enough or not working hard enough. Yeah, Jesus, we give that stuff to you. We thank you for your, your liberation, Lord your true freedom that you've given us. I pray for healing of hearts, God. There's just maybe some just broken hearts because you've been through the same story so many times and it gets better and then it gets worse and it gets better and it gets worse. Lord, I pray for healing over those hearts. We love you. Your name, amen.